Welcome to FRT, the IF podcast at the intersection of finance, regulation, and technology. I'm Conan French, director on the digital finance team at the IF. And in this episode, we're speaking with Ryan Moore, who's managing director for financial services risk management. And we're going to discuss trends in machine learning adoption in financial services and some key insights from the upcoming IF EY summary report on machine learning for credit risk and anti-money laundering. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about your work on machine learning with financial institutions and how you came to it? Sure, Con, and I uh, just want to say thanks for having me here. Great to be with you. So my background in machine learning really started with my broader work in model risk management. Certainly since the post-financial crisis and SR 11.7 and the other regulatory guidance that came out, it's been a big focus across the industry where I've spent a lot of my time. Machine learning was sort of a, a natural evolution of that. Um, in this area, over the past four or five years, we've seen a huge increase in adoption of using AI and machine learning techniques across financial institutions. So things that we've seen in the area, certainly over the last couple of years, in addition to that increased adoption, it's really across financial institutions and across use cases. And so some of what we've seen, you know, certainly in the credit risk and AML, but really for operations, HR, you name it, at a financial institution, we've been seeing it recently. With that, we've seen a lot of risk and governance considerations that have come up and certainly some some regulatory focus in the area. So in the U.S. market, you know, we've seen the interagency request for information around the use of AI at institutions. The OCC published its examiner handbook on MRM and a big area of focus in that was around the use of AI and ML. Um, and globally, we've seen the PRA's recent consultative paper on model risk management talk about it as well. So a big area of interest amongst our clients and across the street. Well, we've certainly seen this uptick of an area of interest over the last four years at the IF as well. And that's one of the reasons why we had started the annual IF machine learning survey. And it's to do precisely what you had just outlined there as the public sector works to develop their rule book, their supervision and, and oversight of these new tools. And as our members increasingly adopt these tools and put them into production, we found it useful to take an annual pulse on the market and help you know firms get a bit of a benchmark and help the public sector get a global snapshot on what's going on. And so we're really excited to be partnering with EY this year on the report on uh, machine learning and credit risk and AML. And this report is based on the 2022 IF machine learning survey that we conducted over the last year. And, in that survey, we polled 43 different financial institutions from around the world, and they included GSIB banks, uh, more regional bank players, and insurance firms as well. And we've done this, again, to you know really drill down on those two application areas in credit risk and anti-money laundering, where we had seen an uptick of activity and wanted to get into some of the issues that we thought industry was working with and, and dealing with in those two areas. And so, Ryan, I was wondering what stood out for you in the report? What were some of the key takeaways that you saw? Yeah, I mean, I, I think first and foremost, sort of, it's very clear that the adoption of machine learning is pervasive, right? When we when we look across both the credit risk and uh, anti-money laundering responses, the majority of institutions are using machine learning in production today. And for those that aren't, you know, we typically have seen responses around pilot projects underway, plans to increase the use in the future. And we even see, if you look at like, the case of anti-money laundering, only 3% of respondents say they have no plans to use machine learning learning in the day-to-day. 
And, and that was similar in a few different areas we saw in, I think the highest category, only 9% of firms have no plans to use machine learning. And so, you know, clearly these new tools are something that companies are getting impact and, and benefit from. And that's where I wanted to go next. I was wondering if you could tell us some of the top realized benefits for credit risk management that we had seen. Absolutely. So I think that the first and foremost, which is not at all a surprise when we look at the results, is really the increased model accuracy, right? So the use of these more complex techniques, larger data sets, you're able to improve performance on various metrics that you might look at when thinking about model performance. The next most common one was discovery of new patterns in the data and sort of thinking about the benefits from a ability to better manage credit risk. Maybe interesting that I saw is that the lowest response was really around cost savings, right? So people are, are using these techniques as a way to better manage credit risk, not necessarily as a way to lower cost. And that was an interesting takeaway. And even though anecdotally we hear it may drive cost savings in the long term, it certainly wasn't you know, one of the things that they were you know, pushing for or ranking highly as an immediate benefit, which goes a little counter to some of the narrative that you see out in the wild a little more. So how about in anti-money laundering? What were some of the, the key benefits that you know, we saw there? Well, I think along a similar trend, the, the number one response we saw was lowering false positive rates because part of your AML program, which is, I think, again, you know, offering better performance as a result of your model. Similarly, discovery of new patterns came up. I mean, cost savings was sort of at the low, not the lowest this time, but continued to be less of an impact. I think, you know, when you think about having lower false positives, you're able to direct your resources at sort of those higher risk areas, which I think has both a benefit from an outcomes perspective as well as should should drive some cost saving. To your point, Conan, I think, you know, if we were to expand the use case areas that we're asking questions on, I think you might get a very different response around cost, right? When we think about where ML, AI and ML are used in operations and other activities. Right, you know, customer-facing operations, chatbots helping to increase customer access and service while also addressing costs are, are some other areas that were kind of outside of scope of this year's survey, but as you said, might be areas of, um, you know, bigger driver for, for cost savings. I think in the area of AML, um, you know, the benefits that they outlined raise a couple of key points that were also outside of scope of this survey and, and our work. But we've seen, you know, with limited data sharing ability in, in the area of AML and, you know, limited feedback loops on SARS reports and other official sources of data, you know, using these tools to try to deal with some of that, you know, some of those challenges that they have in the, the AML area, I think was important. How about some of the key challenges for adoption? You know, we looked at this overall across those two use case areas and, you know, heard some, I think, fairly consistent and, and strong themes there. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, very consistent across both credit risk and, and AML. And what we've been seeing, quite frankly, in a lot of the work we've been doing with clients, right? So number one is really around transparency and explainability, right? And, and the ability to attribute the outcomes that you're machine learning algorithms are producing to the inputs. Along similar lines, data quality was thematically brought up in both as a key challenge. And again, we're talking about very large data sets. And so all of the uh, data challenges associated with that. We even did a bit of a deep dive question around what your biggest data challenges are and responses there really around multiple data sources and formats, poor data quality, lack of data labeling. You know, when you're talking about both structured and, and unstructured data, you, know, you see a lot of challenges there. 
And that's a particular issue, I think, for those you know, larger multinationals who may have you know, federated structures or may be the result of mergers over the years and, and are dealing with some legacy IT infrastructure. And so things that we've seen be an overall challenge for digital transformation of the, of the institution are, are also a challenge here, so that's not a surprise at all. But you were about to add another point, I think. I was just going to highlight that, you know, some other things that, that we saw were really around um, infrastructure, right? And having the kind of the platforms and the, the technology able to sort of realize the benefits of some of these larger data sets. I would say supervisory considerations is something that's come up in sort of engagement with regulators. And then last but not least, one of the things that we saw was the skill sets that the institutions have and, and potentially needing to upskill teams for the adoption of, of some of these applications. And we've also heard, again, not in this survey, but we've heard anecdotally that this is a bit of a challenge with supervision and you know, maybe a chicken and egg problem for adoption where the, the public sector and you know, regulators and supervisors are also starting from a more limited basis of understanding. And so the ability for them to supervise these models and, and give clear regulatory signal uh, about their adoption and use is one of the things that we're trying to work through. And that's one of the you know, drivers behind the IF doing this report. We found in the survey here, explainability was one of the, the key challenges that they had outlined. And this is an area, of course, of debate. We've seen you know, some public sector figures step forward and say things like, well, you know, explainability is actually a higher bar than we hold humans to. You know, many of the best performing humans in financial services are borne out by a track record of performance uh, rather than, you know, an ability to explain the, the models or actions that they're taking. And so I was just curious if you had any insider thought on this kind of explainability. It became a catchphrase or an easy touch post, I think, for some supervisors. If you were worried about adoption and deployment in a key area, you could just say, well, it's got to be explainable. So curious if you have any thoughts or comments on the explainability debates. Certainly a challenge, right? And I think when we've been working with a number of institutions, I think outlining where explainability may be more important as, as sort of a key, right? So there may be certain use cases, you certainly think about things that are touching compliance, fair lending and others, where explainability may be much more important than for some of your more operational uses in, in other areas, you know, trying to automate a certain process. You, know, you may not need that same level of transparency, but there's also been a lot of research done and, and more tools available at your fingertips from vendors and others in terms of providing the ability to explain some of that information or understand feature importance or other things that can give you more comfort in the use of these techniques. Yeah, and when we did ask the question in this survey of the key considerations that were raised by FIs with regulators, they included the complex nature of some algorithms and outcomes, bias and ethical issues related to the use of machine learning and transparency. And I think that that's an important list. We certainly you know, think that this question of ethics in machine learning and particularly you know, ethical AI is a big theme already and one that we expect to become a real focus in 2023 with the public sector. And so as we look at this mix and, and these considerations that the firms are dealing with, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the machine learning governance uh, processes and models um, that firms have in place. So how they're using existing model risk management or enterprise risk frameworks. And we think that this is a really important area. Financial service firms have you know, decades of history of model oversight and model management, and it's sort of extending this into a new area. 
Um, but what are you seeing in, in how firms are leveraging their traditional expertise in model risk management into this new uh, category and class of tools? It's a great question, Conan, and one that you see borne out in the results of the survey where to the question around how are you governing machine learning applications, the number one response is really through these existing frameworks. And certainly model risk management has matured a lot as a risk discipline, certainly over the last five to 10 years. But I think as we see, uh, institutions are thinking about machine learning, generally speaking, as just another class of model type that has some unique risks and considerations. You're talking about very large data sets, less transparent methods and models that can learn over time. And, and so adapting model risk frameworks to address some of these risks through the, the use of additional standards, potential enhanced requirements for development, including sort of the documentation of how the models will be monitored on a go forward basis and outlining requirements for the, you know, those hot button issues you were talking about earlier, like explainability and what you, what you might expect to see. So in the, the model risk management frameworks that we've been seeing, a lot of emphasis and scrutiny around how we're dealing about some of these unique risks. And you know, one of those techniques has been model validation, of course, is an important step. And that was something that you know, we zoned in on and, and certainly resonated well with those folks in the survey. So any, any comments on the techniques that people are using to, model, you know, to validate those models in machine learning? Yeah, I, th I think the, the survey results were very consistent with what we've been seeing in our day-to-day, -day, right, where it's a combination of a lot of the traditional validation techniques you might expect for other statistical forecasting models, you know, emphasis on, on ongoing performance monitoring, in-sample and out-of-sample backtesting, and, and sort of outcomes analysis, and benchmarking. So all, all the sort of traditional model performance tests you might expect to see, right, but then in addition new sort of use of explainability tools and other techniques that help you better understand how inputs are getting processed into outputs. And then increased emphasis on data quality validation. Data has always been a part of model validation, but you know, when, you're, when you're thinking about models that are processing huge data sets, your risk kind of transfers from what is the algorithm itself to also, what, is, what does the data look like? And your model is only as good as, as the data you have feeding it. So definitely big, big emphasis there as part of the validation. And the model being fed by the data that you have is an important point as we move on to the, the next issue that we wanted to cover, and that's bias and unfairness. And clearly in financial services, when you're talking about you know, credit decisions or AML decisions that may you know, open up or deny uh, financial services and opportunities to individuals, you want to make sure that you've got a very high bar there. And the area of bias has been, I think, a real focus by applying some new tools. You know, I think people found instances where they could point to you know, some bias being introduced. But as that debate sort of moved on, they realized, wait a minute, that bias is there because our previous decisioning patterns may have been informed by data and information and models that had bias in them as well. And so I think that most of the debates realize that this bias is not newly introduced with the adoption of more advanced algorithms, that it's really an issue of the data that you're, you're informing those algorithms with. And there have been some pretty entertaining and, and scary examples of, of people showing how algorithms can be uh, trained quite quickly by the data that you feed them. So any observations or points that you have on how you know, firms and, and the public sector are dealing with this question of unfairness and bias and making sure that we don't have discriminatory outcomes? What are some of the controls being put in place? 
If we look at the results and certainly what we've been seeing, the institution level code of ethics was actually the number one kind of selected response from from our participants and sort of addressing or recognizing the fact that there are these challenges. Would completely agree, right? These aren't necessarily new, but with the accelerated adoption of some of these things, it poses some heightened risks as as we have increased use of large data sets and and if you don't have that human in the loop type of control that, that you commonly see. You know, we also saw you know, traditional methods that, that we think of when we're thinking about more statistical models, right? Excluding features such as gender, race, other sensitive at- attributes from your developmental data sets, right? And having sort of your compliance and fair lending and, and, and other groups involved to make sure that the outcomes produced by these algorithms are sort of consistent with that code of ethics, as well as, you know, other legal considerations as well when you, when you think about the requirements there. And that, that moves on to, you know, a more general question about model monitoring in general. What, what are some of the ways that, you know, firms continue to monitor how these systems are working? Yeah, as part of a lot of development and and validation requirements at at these leading institutions, we see sort of an ongoing monitoring plan being validated in addition to the model itself, right? And so having developers outline what are the tests that they're going to perform, both to demonstrate performance on an upfront basis during development, but then what are they going to perform kind of on a go-forward basis? And so looking at what are the, the metrics that are most useful for a given model type what are the, the thresholds that would require investigation? And I think one of the things that we've been seeing is is around change management, right? And you know, there's only so many hours in a day, uh, we, particularly with machine learning models, you can't necessarily validate every change. So performing robust testing upfront to outline sort of the boundaries of model performance that you'd expect, and then having thresholds, controls, monitoring mechanisms in place throughout the life of the algorithm to allow for increased scrutiny when things start to drift. Well, I think that has been a, a great summary of the, the snapshot that we've gotten of the industry. This was, again, a 2022 snapshot in two critical application areas. As we look forward into 2023, I think some of the, the key questions for IF members focus around AI and ethical AI. And oversight and governance of AI, I think, is being pushed further and further up the corporate pyramid. And so some of those questions of how do we get the right governance structures in place are becoming a, a hotter debate and particularly around ethics and, and outcome and, and the question, you know, the continuing questions and focus on bias. And of course, we're also finding that, that some of that bias may have been in the historical data and historical models. And so trying to you know, sort through as a society how we balance signal with those sorts of concerns going forward, I think will be important. What are some of the things that you think will be important in uh, machine learning and AI in 2023? Well, I think first and foremost, I, I think we would expect the trend to continue with that acceleration of adoption, right? And, you know, we focused on two particular use cases here, but I think across financial institutions, we kind of expect to see and, and continue to see growth in this area and, and sort of utilizing the tools to, to you know, produce some better outcomes, which I think is a great thing. Now, with that, I think there has been and will continue to be investment in sort of the infrastructure and platforms needed to support that, both from a development standpoint, as well as from a risk standpoint and being able to, you know, model validation key theme from this survey this year, as, as these continue to grow, having the platforms both for the development and, and validation and the controls. 
I think we expect see continued regulatory engagement in the area, right? And, and only more so and kind of addressing those risks of, of adoption. And, and I think in addition, this year talked about you know, ERM and, and model risk frameworks governing these items. I think we're going to see a lot more cross-functional governance and connecting the dots across you know, various risk stripes and from model risk, compliance, operational, technology, data, et cetera. And I just wanted to quickly note that the views here are my own and not the expressed opinions of Ernst Young. I think that's a, that's a great list. You know, better outcomes is what this is all about. Model validation being evolved and, and deployed in new areas and, and trying to help mitigate against risk, it will uh, mitigate against bias, I think in particular, it will be a focus. And then as you said, this year we saw a important milestone passed where the majority of firms were in live deployment of these types of, of tools. But we also had a very close follow-up cohort that were still in prototype testing and, and testing models. And I think that we'll see some rapid moves from that category up into the live deployments. And I think you'll see you know, more regulators becoming more comfortable with critical applications moving forward. So we look forward to developments in 2023. And thanks very much, Ryan, for joining us for this episode of FRT. Tune in and get episodes of FRT wherever you find your podcasts. And thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Colin. Thanks all.